but I'm also making decisions on how it's going to affect our customers. And then in turn, how that affects our customers is who is our customer going to be now? And how do I have to change things and market not only to make sure that I'm marketing the correct people, um, marketing to the correct people, but also making sure that I am letting our consumer know that these options are out there and it's not like it was five, 10 years ago. Um, give us a new chance. Give us a new try. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Matt, how's it going? It's going fantastically, Josh. How are you? And doing really well. Awesome. Matt, you know how we often like to talk about combining various attraction types that maybe don't necessarily go well together into a unique, not feasible whatsoever type of hypothetical attraction. I do love that. Yes. Like an axe throwing trampoline park, water park. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or, or uh, for some reason, axe throwing always comes up, but like axe throwing while ice skating or something. Oh, ooh, you know? that's a good one. Yeah. Okay. Well, now I feel like <laughs> that could be cool to watch <laughs> but not standing by not an axe throwing ice skating trampoline park no that would be harder the skates would probably cut the trampoline material and then you would just get caught up in the springs underneath and you would you would just be in one place you couldn't that'd, be, that'd be bad that right all throwing yeah. axes yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. but i'm sure there was <laughs> a deeper just... question in there well, you just throw your ice skates at that point. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> you can get them out and above the trampoline. Anyway, <laughs> the reason why I ask that is because today we're going to talk about two types of attractions or two types of businesses that do really go well together. And that, of course, is dinner and theater. And they become a dinner theater. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's right. The dinner theater. Have you yes. ever been to one? I've been to many. Um, would you consider uh, Medieval Times as a dinner theater? I would. Okay. Um, I know there's other ones that I've been to. Um, there's also um, maybe, a, maybe a new take on the dinner theater. Maybe not so new, but um, you have a, a, a movie theater which serves food in the mm -hmm. actual theater. Okay. Kind of a dinner theater, but um, hoop de do review at oh, uh, Disney. Wow. Is a dinner well, theater? Hoop -dee -doo. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, but any anywhere that I would imagine you could eat food while or just before you're seeing a a theatrical performance in the same venue. You know, it's not like you go to dinner at a restaurant and then leave there and get in your car or walk down the street and you go to a theater and you see a show. This is combining those two venues. Yes, yes, exactly. So our guest today is Melissa Vogt. She is the general manager and marketing director of Broadway Palm Dinner Theater in beautiful Fort Myers, Florida. Yeah, and we get to talk to Melissa about all kinds of things that have changed in the dinner theater space. Um, she even mentions that, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, the dinner theater was kind of a dying breed, um, but a lot of things that they've done have really turned at least their business around. I can't speak for all dinner theaters, but certainly have uh, worked to help their business uh, move forward and even attract different uh, guests. Yeah, absolutely. And this is uh, just such an interesting conversation with Melissa because she's been with Broadway Palm for close to 23 years now, has recently taken on the role of general manager, um, and she's been in, in marketing for several years, but she also started as a box office reservationist. So she has seen the evolution, not just of the dinner theater in general, but of Broadway Palm's continued uh, growth over the last couple of decades. And now she has the opportunity to really take the lead and uh, oversee the entire operation and working with people that, uh, working with many people that she's worked with for several years. And um, 
and kind of see Broadway Palm into the next phase of growth and as dinner theaters continue to evolve and expand. Yeah, and I think one of the things that's really interesting is how she talks about the two businesses, you know, the restaurant business and the theater business and how they are both difficult in and of themselves, but you put them together and you've got a bartender over here and a stagehand over here and, you know, very, very different needs, different kind of people and uh, just fascinating to hear kind of how she is balancing that and how she anticipates balancing that in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing she talks about, too, is her community involvement in downtown Fort Myers, in Southwest Florida in general, as well as with the Florida Attractions Association, too, where she recently became one of the uh, board of directors, or she joined the board of directors. So we'll be able to hear all about that and how important that involvement is as well. Well, I think without further ado, we should raise the curtain and get a plate and get ready for this interview with Melissa Vogt. Grab your fork and take a seat, sit back, relax, and enjoy this interview with Melissa. Hey, Melissa, welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast. How are you? Great. Thank you. Welcome. I'm excited to be here. We're excited to have you here and excited to chat about all things Broadway Palm. So tell us a little bit about you, your background, and maybe a quick overview of Broadway Palm as well. Sure. So um, I actually was born in New York, um, brought down here to Florida with my family when I was a baby. So I have been a resident of Southwest Florida um, since I was about six months old. So I definitely am ingrained in the community, have seen the area um, change and grow over the years. Um, so I love it. I love being here. Um, definitely still an integral part of the community as well. So um that's a little bit of just how I got here. Um, Broadway Palm itself has been around since 1993. Um, we opened, um, we actually took a old public supermarket and renovated it to become Broadway Palm. So that all started in 92, opened in 93, and I started with the company in 1999. So I have been with them um, almost 23 years now. Um, serving in various roles from box office reservationist, group sales coordinator, um, director of marketing, director of sales, and am now general manager and am still marketing and PR director overseeing all the sales and marketing operations. So, Awesome. Melissa, can you tell us a little bit about what it's been like to go from you know your box office position now to general manager? Yeah, it was it wasn't where I intended to go. Um, I started when I was getting ready to go to college. I just needed a job to put myself through high, or through college and um, in something part-time. And it just became um, a, a family. And uh, when I was getting ready to graduate, they had a position open. Um, I was box office manager at that point and they had a position open in the group sales department and it was a full, more full-time position, um, of course, better pay. So I took that promotion, not thinking that it was going to be forever. It was a uh, transitioning to, you know, my next, my next phase of life, my, my lifetime career, what I thought. And then when it came time to jump ship and go get a new job and, you know, move on as everybody does and grows, I just couldn't do it. And it was around the same time that a marketing position opened. And that, that was really what I was figuring out that that's what I really wanted to do. And so I asked, you know, I know that's not what my degree is in. I know that's not my experience, but would you give me a chance, you know? And um, at the time, the general manager slash marketing director said, yes, we would, I would love to. I think you'd be great for this. And um, I kind of just worked my way up from there. And the theater itself is a family. Um, it's owned and operated by the same person who started it. Um, it's a, a gentleman whose parents started a theater in Pennsylvania. Um, about um, gosh, 35 years ago, he kind of followed in their footsteps, opened this one. Um, so we're all a big family and just working with them every day. It, it's, it's been amazing. It's been a learning opportunity, a growing opportunity. Um, and obviously for me now, I have been pretty much in every aspect of, um, especially front of house, um, office situations, um, watching the theater itself change over the years has been incredible and having them support me and my growth and um, really kind of position me to take this role on and, and help me be ready for it has been amazing, honestly. 
So I'm just curious, when you say that this wasn't your intended career path and there was the time that you thought you would leave and you would go more focused towards what your degree was on, what was that career path kind of looking like at that time? And then I guess the, the follow-up to that is, what were the reasons for staying with Broadway, Paul? Uh, it was actually nursing, um, believe it or not, which is a completely different shift. Um, and I just realized that it, it wasn't for me as much as I thought it was. I'm definitely a, a people person. I love to talk. I love to take time. I like to be... Um, just really be focused on individual people and solving problems and having kind of my own little, my own thing to run and manage. And, and I thought that I was going to be able to do that being a nurse. And then I found out, no, no, you really, it's very, it's much more difficult than you think it is going to be to be able to, you know, take time and um, really focus on each patient and, I, I just couldn't do it. And then when, like I said, I started kind of doing some community outreach stuff and realized, you know, the marketing PR side of, of the world, of all industries is, is exactly what I want. It's, it's taking time with people. It's being able to solve problems. It's being able to be creative um, and compassionate. And, and I just, it's it just kind of the universe aligned for me. And it was perfect, honestly. And so now, Melissa, you are the GM and the marketing director. So how do you kind of balance the time between those two? Or is it kind of, you know, just one role, if you will? You know, it's it's still new. So I, it's a new promotion to general manager. Um, so I'm still learning how to balance the time, honestly. Um, the We have right now, you know, we had at one time almost 200 employees. Now we're at about 100. So because I've been here for so long, I thankfully know all the employees. I have great relationships with them already. I have great relationships with all the other managers. Um, so they're really helping me and stepping up and continuing to be a team while I learn this new role and transition into actually being officially their leader. So that's, I'm really focused on that. And, um, I've been doing the marketing. I was, I've been the director of marketing since 2011 and in 2005 was sales and marketing coordinator. So thankfully I, you know, some, I say I can do certain things with my eyes closed as far as marketing goes. Um, right now with everything going on in the world, it's a little bit different. Um, I'm having, it's, it's definitely more difficult than I imagined it would be to manage both roles. Um, but it's exciting up at the same time. It's, creating new opportunities for some um, some of our um, more entry-level employees to be more involved. I'm asking a lot of people for help and advice and guidance. And um, it, it's, it's, it's interesting. Let's say that. It's interesting. We're getting Yeah. <laughs> so since you've been with Broadway Palm for nearly 23 years now, what are some of, I would say, the biggest changes you've seen over the years? And we could, we could say COVID aside for this specific question, just from the late 90s through today, as far as the way that live theater has changed in terms of consumer preferences or in terms of even the facility itself or operations wise, what are some of those, those biggest changes that you've seen? Well, you know, being a dinner theater, it's it, for many, you know, years, it has, it's a dying industry, honestly. And so we have, over the last 15 years, we have had to recreate ourselves, rebrand ourselves, find a way to become more relevant. Um, you know, the owner's dad it jokes, he's like, it, you know, we're not chew in view. And that was what people thought dinner theaters were, was, you know, this is not your parents dinner theater anymore um we've had to alternate some programming we brought in a concert series we changed our dining experience we changed seating you know before it was tables of four and eight and maybe eight tables of two now we've realized you know people don't necessarily want to be bussed in and herded through a buffet line anymore and sitting with strangers so um, about almost 10 years ago now we completely redid our seating chart we offered more private tables of four six, um, God, we've tripled our tables for two. Um, we took out our show only seating. It just was not, it was not something that our customers wanted. They didn't want to sit in the back in the show only seats anymore. They wanted to be at tables. They wanted to order drinks. Um, so we allowed that to be an option. We added a new plated dinner, um, option on Friday and Saturday nights for those that are just not buffet fans. Um, but I will tell you 
that we have had conversations and surveys go out, um, talk to our customers, and we could net we we cannot get rid of the buffet. Believe it or not, that it is like they love this buffet. So, um, but we did add this plated dinner option for those that just aren't buffet fans. So it's um, three different dining options that they can choose from. Um, they're served at their table, so they don't have to go through the buffet line. They can. Ha- it's just more of a nice evening out for them. Um, and then our programming, obviously, we we add some different shows in where you know when we first opened and even into 20 years ago, we were doing the classics, the, you know, the Oklahoma's, the carousels. Um, over the last five years, we've really tried to bring in not only new shows that the theater has never had, but also new shows that are regional premieres that haven't been to our area before. So um, last season, we did the regional premiere of A Bronx Tale. Um, we did Saturday Night Fever a couple years back. Um, we've done Rent, which was a little, you know, our audience was not quite sure about that one. Um, but we're, and we do different things that bring in families as well. So you've got, you know, not, it's not just the core senior audience that's coming to the old classics anymore. You've got 13 year olds that are begging their mom to come see um, Wizard of Oz or Annie or Sound of Music, you know. So it's, we've really just worked hard at just making sure that we can reevaluate every year what we're doing, reevaluate what our, our customer wants, and also work on the next generation of theater goers and how we're going to maintain um, our business and make sure we have that customer base moving forward. You know, Melissa, one of the things I'm curious about is that food in and of itself is a tough business and then the theater is a tough business and you've combined them. And one of the things Josh and I joke about all the time is combining these, some things that don't go together, obviously these two do go together, but can you talk about some of the unique challenges you face in running those two kind of uniquely difficult businesses? Absolutely. It is, we, I say that to people all the time. We are, you know, I've got a staff of bartenders and servers and then I've got a tech crew they're two totally different animals you know we've got a dishwasher that goes out and then at the same time a spotlight goes out so you have two operations that are at any time something is going wrong um there it's you know putting out fires left and right so running the restaurant side of a business as you said is very difficult and also running a restaurant where 400 people get sat at once and need to eat at once, not only need to eat at once, but they need to be done in an hour and a half before a show starts is it adds a whole nother element to the game. So it's interesting. It's fun. It's lively. It's probably one of the reasons that I didn't want to leave um, and go to a different career because it is, it's two of one, two of the hardest industries I'd say, and most interesting industries and you put them together and it creates this magical experience that you don't know anything's going wrong behind the scenes. <laughs> right, exactly. At least that's uh, that's the goal, is that if something that's the goal. Wrong, exactly. I, I guess doesn't know. Uh, how often do you find that you are wearing both hats of general manager and marketing director? When you were talking earlier about um, kind of the ways that consumer preferences have shifted and that you've rearranged the seating, and now there's fewer eight-person tables and a lot more two-person tables, does that then lead to marketing decisions of saying, well, we now need to market more towards couples, or we now need to ensure that the, the content, the shows itself are geared towards the way that the facility itself is actually set up? Absolutely, which is why I think that, especially in our situation here, general manager slash director of marketing public relations, it does go together. And it's it's perfect to have, you know, this, I can I'm making decisions not only based on a manager and what, how it's going to affect our staff, but I'm also making decisions on how it's going to affect our customers. And then in turn, how that affects our customers is who is our customer going to be now? And how do I have to change things and market not only to make sure that I'm marketing the correct people, um, marketing to the correct people, but also making sure that I am letting our consumer know that these options are out there and it's not like it was five, 10 years ago. Um, give us a new chance, give us a new try. And, and how, how do I do that um, is, is always what I, that keeps me up at night. Obviously that's my, my biggest goal is where are those people? How, how do I make sure that I'm conveying exactly what all these changes that we made and how, how do I convey them properly? Because it's, it is ever changing and 
um, every year we try to do something a little bit different and really reach different consumers. So it's definitely, definitely wearing that hat um, a lot, both of those hats a lot. So. Yeah. And earlier, Josh asked about um, kind of pre-COVID, all the changes that have happened, but can you talk kind of through some of the things that happened during COVID or because of COVID now that, you know, maybe they were changes that you made on the fly, but maybe they're things that are, you're going to keep or just kind of some of those changes you went through and, and, and pivots, if I might. Pivots. I love that. We use that word a lot. <laughs> well, obviously we had to close just like, you know, most everybody else. We got lucky, um, obviously being in Florida, um, and but we're a restaurant. So we're not a typical theater. So our seating is not set in stone. We don't have to have, you know, you, we don't have, you don't have to be sitting right next to somebody else. They're all tables. So we could have opened at hundred percent very, you know, almost in the very beginning, quite frankly, um, we chose to reopen in August of last year at 25%. And that was our choice. We separated the seating much more than six feet. So they were completely socially distanced. Um, and then we slowly added some tables in. we operated at 50% actually up until um, just September. So we just increased our capacity to 70% and the customers love the new seating arrangement. Um, the tables are, so we took, you know, we just took tables off the ends and just spaced everything. So they're spaced further apart. They're not sitting on top of each other. Um, you know, we, we probably got a little greedy, you know, back in 2017, 18, 19, when we were having our best years ever, we were, I mean, we're like, how can we get more people in here? Squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. And it's, it was not comfortable. And we're not only finding that as ourselves, as we're, you know, in the audience going, God, this is great. Like I can scoot out of my chair without hitting somebody in the back. And, um, but our customers love it. That's one of the number one compliments we get. And they said, I don't, you know, COVID aside, can you please keep your seating arrangement like this? We like being separated. We like being a little further apart. Um, it, it helps with their experience too. So that's one of the things that was definitely a big change. And I, I, I'm hopeful. It's definitely going to be through um, 2022 that we're keeping the seating arrangement. I think it will probably be here to stay. Um, that's one thing um, that we definitely had to um, work through and is a good change, I'd say, out of COVID. Um, but we also completely restructured our management team and the way we were doing things. It was an opportunity. I think everybody had the same opportunity to reevaluate again, even though we try to do that every year. But it was an opportunity to say, okay, obviously we need to, you know, cut some things around here. We don't, if we're only serving 25%, we don't need to have a staff of 150 and a 30 person management team. What can we combine? What can we, what can we move? What are we able to lose? And it gave us this great opportunity to figure out what wasn't working, what was working and just totally shift everything. And we did, and it is going so well. And the management team's on board, the staff is on board. Everybody is, I think, grateful that we're in business, grateful that we stayed around and just grateful to be serving the customers again. So um, definitely a, a plus for sure. Are you able to expand a little bit on some of those elements that you say you were able to decide what was working and what wasn't working that helped lead to those decisions to maybe a, a more efficient management structure? Yeah. So we had a very large management team and uh, as we, as you grow, as you change, do you need an outside salesperson, an inside, like an outside sales director, an internal sales director, a sales coordinator? Do you need a marketing director, a PR director? And then do you need a box office manager, assistant manager? Are there ways we can combine these roles to make, you know, to go from eight people to three or four people? Yes, there are, and it can be done more efficiently. And so while one person has one skill set, another person has another skill set, there's somebody in the middle that has skill sets and they work together or they go hand in hand. Um, and that even goes, trickles down to just our, you know, our employees in general. You, when you have more utility players that can be a bartender, that can be a server, um, they're, they're valuable, you know, and then you have our hostesses and hosts and bus persons that can kind of go between things. You have actors that want to be servers, you know, do we have to bring our full staff back right now? Or can we, can we get by with, 
with um, with the team that we have on board. So it was tough decisions. I know for the owner, it was really tough decisions. It was hard for him um, to let some people go that have been with the company for 25 years. But those are the tough decisions that we had to make to be able to survive. And, you know, in the beginning, like many people were not sure of whether it was restaurant, theater, or even attractions, um, no one knew, are we gonna be able to survive? Will we get through this? Um, so he had to make those hard choices. And as we kind of realized we are surviving, we move forward and we just had a, we had a lot of meetings, a lot of meetings and what's gonna work and what's not gonna work. And he heavily relied on his senior level management team that has been here for many years in many different roles on coming up with a new structure that was gonna work um, best for him and then best for the theater and what we look, what we're envisioning that in the future, so. Melissa, you just said something really interesting because you said, you know, you've got the restaurant, the theater and attractions. And I would kind of look at what you do as an attraction. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of debate about, you know, are zoos attractions or museums attractions is a dinner theater attraction. Personally, I think it is. Um, but if that's how you see it as well, does that impact your, your marketing or does that impact how you operate the facility? If it's not quote unquote, just a dinner theater, but it's also an attraction. Yeah, so definitely. And I, I would agree that people, you know, even when I say I'm going to the Florida Attractions Association Conference, they're like, why? I'm like, because <laughs> we're, we're a part, we're a member, you know? I'm like, well, now I'm on the board too. So um, that's why, but, and they're like, you're not an attraction. I'm like, why not? Why are we not an attraction? Like, you know, visitors are looking for things to do. They're looking for attractions to visit. Guess where they come? Broadway Palm. So yes, it definitely, um, I market completely different, obviously, to visitors. And I market us as a as a an attraction while you're here. I would not go, you know, like Disney does and put a big campaign in North Carolina and, oh, come to Fort Myers because Broadway Palm's here, right? I use all of those people that are coming to Disney or coming to the beaches or coming to see the Edison home or whatever it is they're doing. I can now target them and say, hey, you can only be outside at the beach for so long. Here we are, a nice nighttime activity. Or if it's raining, you got another attraction to visit. So um, I heavily market to our visitors, um, especially during season. Right now, it's season all the time, obviously. Like we are just influx with visitors, with new residents, with people trying to move down here, people visiting new new residents that have moved down here. Um, so I, yeah, I market us as an attraction. I, um, I definitely think we are an attraction and people can think not, I guess, but we are. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned uh, other things to do in Fort Myers. You mentioned the beaches, uh, the Edison Ford winter estates. Uh, you've also talked about uh, how you are very involved in your community. Can you share a little bit about how you stay connected with whether it's the greater uh, Southwest Florida region or even just in the downtown Fort Myers area of how you're able to, to stay connected? Yeah, definitely. So we, we are, we love partnering with other attractions, love partnering with hotels. It's, I think it, it's one of the smartest things to do. It's, it's easy for us to even put a package together. You know, we, for years, we had a package that was um, estates by day, Broadway by night. And so we had a really great relationship with the, you know, Edison and Ford Winter Estates where people in town were looking for something to do. And, you know, we would just each discount our tickets a little bit and it was easy for them. They would one-stop shop kind of a thing and they're a, a whole day's plan for you. Um, we rely heavily on our VCB. Um, they do so much for our area. So we work with them as well. Um, anytime there's collaborations that we can be a part of. They contact us, we contact them. Um, and then just in general, you know, between the owner and I, we sit on numerous boards. We are, I'm on all different committees. I volunteer frequently. I make sure Broadway Palm is at the forefront of everybody's mind, whether it's at a young professionals meeting or it's at a chamber of commerce luncheon or it's an award ceremony. I make sure that I'm there, that Will is there presenting Broadway Palm, not only here we are as a destination, a, an attraction you can come to bring your family, but we also can be a meeting space. You know, we have, we host events when we don't have shows. We host, um, the, one of our local Rotary Clubs does their weekly luncheon here. Um, so then you have a hundred, you know, 50 to a hundred business 
people in our room, guess who I have now? A captive audience, not only for our shows, also a captive audience who are, oh, Broadway Palm is a great place to hold events. So um, being, I think, contributing to the area, contributing to our community in by attending others, other people's events, by attending uh, other attractions, um, helps Broadway Palm, helps them. So I think collaborating and just making sure you know, we're all in this together um, mentality is there. And it's it's one of the things that I know that the owner is proud of and I'm proud of, so. Yeah, and when you think about marketing that way, you know, being out in the community and being involved and kind of putting yourself and your facility out there, um, I don't know that that's the kind of marketing that a lot of people think of, right? They think of ads and they think of Facebook and they think of all those kind of things. So yeah. that kind of, kind of community homegrown marketing, I think probably does even better for you than some of the more quote unquote traditional methods. Definitely. And this, this area, and, you know, like I said, I have been, I, I've been here since I was six months old and while I haven't been necessarily in this industry since I was, you know, a baby or anything, or a business person since I was young, um, this area is a relationship area. It is not, it's not a heavy sales, sales, sales. It's, it's a relationship driven area. And you are going to pick up the phone and give the business to somebody you have a relationship with over the person who just hard sold you on something. Um, so as, as I, you know, am now starting to mentor people and chat with new people to the area. That's the first thing I say to them. They're like, how can I market? How can I, I just had a conversation with somebody last night. Well, oh, you do marketing. I need to, I need to do marketing. And I, what do I do? And I'm like, well, this is, this is perfect. You're at this event. This is how many look around, pass your business card out, give them a free, free round of golf, do whatever you need to do and get them, take people to lunch, form relationships. That is my best advice I can give anybody. So it's, it's great. I love it. I think most people in the area understand that. Um, it's just a lot of people new coming in don't quite get it. Yeah, um, that is definitely very good advice I, when it comes to whether it is about marketing or just about business in general, or even just professional development of forming those relationships is going to be much more powerful than like what Matt, you, see, you said that Facebook ads or, you know, kind of getting into maybe some of those like logistics, which are all, of course, very important, but having that right. foundation of being connected within the community. Um, you talk about the ways that you market to people who are coming to Fort Myers, perhaps for the beach, or maybe they're coming to visit family and being able to, uh, I would say, tap into their activities while they're in town. Can you talk a little bit about how Broadway Palm fits into, I would say, the greater landscape of Southwest Florida tourism, because I've always found it to be a very unique region. I've lived in Fort Myers at, on a few different occasions over the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years or so ago. And it's it's interesting because Southwest Florida in general is, is kind of fragmented, right? You've got mm -hmm. downtown Fort Myers and the beach, and you've got Sanibel and Captiva, and you've got Naples and Marco Island, which are not that far, but you got to go down the interstate to, to get there. I, so where does, you know, Broadway Palm, you're, you're closer to downtown. So how does that fit in kind of with the, like I said, the greater landscape of the region's tourism? You know, we're really lucky because where we are is it's pretty much central to everything where, like you said, we're close to downtown, but we're within 30 minutes of Fort Myers Beach, 30 minutes of Sanibel Island, 30 to 45 minutes, depending on traffic and season of Naples. Um, so we are, we're really lucky to be where we are. Um, how, so, I mean, that's really how we fit in, right? But we are one of those places that people are looking for things to do here. And um, I tell people, yes, we're not a destination that people are necessarily going to, they're not going to come to Fort Myers because Broadway Palm is here, but they're definitely coming. Broadway Palm is an addition for them. When people are looking to go on vacations, they're looking at different areas. Are we going to go to Sarasota? Are we going to go to Fort Myers? Are we going to go to Naples? Are we going to go to West Palm Beach? You know, where in Florida are we going? And they're looking up things to do. And you have a great dinner theater. You're going to spend seven days at the beach. Okay, we've got a dinner theater that we can take the they have Wizard of Oz playing. And then, oh, Edison and Ford Winter Estates is right down the road. And oh, they have this Sun Harvest Citrus is this great little orange juice shop that they've got going on. And there's so many things for people to do here. So we fit into that tourism by, by being an additional place for people to visit. You know, there's 
there's so much to do in Florida. There's so many different opportunities and just having having something besides the beach and a restaurant and it's an entertainment venue that's, you know, it's, it's quality. It's been around for many years. It's affordable. Um, so I love, I love meeting people outside of the area that are like, oh, we're going to actually visiting our family in Fort Myers. And we were wondering what other things there were to do. You know, we couldn't find anything. I'm like, okay, you, you couldn't find anything. Where are you from? Now I need to, now I need to work on this. Right. So, um, through visit Florida, we are always in their attraction guides. We get so many leads from the visit Florida, um, yearly book that they put out their big visitors guide. And so we send our brochure to every single lead we get, whether it's, uh, just we're getting ready to visit Fort Myers with family going to the beach. They're getting a brochure. Um, so it, it gives opportunities for people to really think that Southwest Florida has so much more to offer. Um, and we like being a part of that. Yeah. Well, and just even thinking about the things that you've mentioned and Josh has mentioned, there there is a ton of things to do uh, kind of down in that area. Um, a minute ago, you talked about the Florida Attractions Association, something that you know all three of us have been involved with for a long time, and you are a new member of the board. So yes. can you tell us a little bit about kind of how that came about and your involvement with FAA and, and the board? Yeah. So the owner, Will Prather, was actually chairman of the board and on the board for many years, many years ago. So he, um, we've always, we've been involved with Florida Attractions ever since I've been here. Um, we absolutely love it. Not only the conferences, the people we get to meet, um, but the collaborations. And like we said, there's so many different types of attractions that are part of the Attractions Association. It's not Disney, just Disney. It's not just Universal. Um, there, you know, there's across the state, there's just a variety of different attractions, but we all have the same, the same thing in common. And that is people are going to your destination, your attraction to be entertained, to have fun. We provide joy, right? We inspire happiness. We do all these things. So collaborating with those people um, through the Florida Attractions Association is, I think, just the most valuable thing that comes out of it for me. Um, I love, love, love to go visit another attraction and say, oh, you know, I'm a member of FAA and we have these great stories. Oh, did you go to this conference? Do you know this person? And I love the association itself. Um, the board is very new. I just was installed in August at the recent conference. So um, I was excited to be a part of it. Um, surprised. Matt Johnson is just leaving as a chair. And he actually reached out um, to the owner and said, you know, I, we really need somebody else from the Southwest Florida area on the board. You know, I know you probably don't have time, but do you have anybody that you would recommend? And so Will said, you know, Melissa, she's attended all the conferences over the last five or six years. Uh, she knows, she knows it. She knows all of the lo you know, local people in the, that are part of the association. Let me chat with her and here we are. So I'm excited. I'm learning still. Um, what that means, but I'm definitely going to be a strong advocate. And um, I had my very first board meeting in August. So I'm excited to learn more and, and just be a part of growing the association and making sure that everybody knows how valuable it is and these great relationships that we form, you know, like I met the two of you through the attraction. So that's right. Well, first of all, congratulations on your new position with the board with Florida Attractions Association. Uh, what are some of the responsibilities and duties that you're taking on to be able to serve the association and serve the members as well? So obviously attending the board meetings, um, I'm going to learn more about my responsibilities, but definitely one of them is, is being an advocate for the association and making sure um, that we have the right members involved, making sure the members that are involved are getting the most out of the association. Um, you know, obviously making sure that there's events planned in different areas of the state. So it's not, everything's not just held in Tallahassee. Everything's not just held in Orlando. There's networking opportunities um, quarterly. There's the golf tournament that you can go to, um, raising money for their scholarship fund, which is just a great thing that the Attractions Association does. Um, it's, it, like I said, it's still a learning experience. So I'm not 100% sure of everything, but um, but those are those are the things I'm most excited about, I think, um, so which is why I point those out first. But um, really, and helping helping the new chairman of the board. You know, this is her first term doing this, and I'm really excited to work under her and and learn from her as well. So. 
Melissa, a couple times you said the word advocate, and um, I think that's definitely something good to have on the board to be an advocate for your area. So um, I think so far you've advocated a lot for what, what Southwest Florida can offer, but um, being on the board, think, thinking about maybe, you know, your next board meeting and, and they're thinking about, you know, some initiative across Florida, what is the Southwest Florida voice? What is the, what is the, um, the voice of the attractions in that part of the state? You know, we are sometimes an overlooked arts culture attractions. It's an overlooked situation with when you go to a you know a city council meeting or you go listen to the county commissioners. I think sometimes many people and even just the community in general don't realize how much we bring to the table, um, how much the attractions, how much the you know whether it's a museum or a theater or you know. The, the new go-kart place that's opening or they don't realize how much we bring um, revenue wise. They don't realize how much, you know, how much addition we bring to the community. They don't realize how much we do for the community. Um, so I, I would say that would be, that's my, that's what I think the voice should be making sure that everyone knows how important we are, how valuable, how valuable we are, that we get, you know, the tax dollars that we need, especially, you know, there's a lot of nonprofits around we're a for-profit theater. So it's a little bit different, but you know, there's a lot of grants out there and things out there that sometimes we're overlooked on um, the attractions industry in general. So I think that would be definitely something that I would be pushing to advocate for more. Why do you think that there's that disconnect and without that visibility towards what attractions and culture bring to the community? Because the way, I mean, maybe we're looking at it from the inside, but it's, you know, they're bringing in the, the biggest tax revenue. They're the, they're the anchors of those destinations and of those regions. Uh, so curious as far as what your thoughts are as to why there, there isn't that same visibility. You know, I, I wish I could answer that, honestly. I I sit down, you know, we have a, a local, our local alliance for the arts. Um, I, I sat down with their new executive director and she's new to the area. And, you know, she's she asked me the same questions, you know, what are the disconnects here? You know, what, do, what can I do to help? Where do I need to go? Who do I need to talk to? And I think that's what it's about. I think it's just, you know, maybe sometimes that we kind of do get into our own bubble and we are just moving forward in what we're doing. And sometimes it's, you know, we are our best advocates, we are our best teachers. And it's not that they're overlooking us because they don't, you know, they, they just are like, eh, let them be by themselves. Maybe, maybe it just is gonna take us to open their eyes that it's not just restaurants and beaches and bars that are bringing in this money. It's not just hotels. It's not just the sports, you know, our spring training. Um, we bring, we're bringing a lot to the table too. We're bringing a lot of tax dollars. We're bringing a lot of visitors, you know, I say we have, 1500 motor coaches that come through here a year and at least half of those are including an overnight stay and guess what they're coming here from Sarasota because Broadway Palm is here so we are contributing and it's just it's going to take our voice to let them know you know may, maybe that's all it's going to take so we have to we have to be our own advocate I think that's going to be the biggest thing yeah so Melissa, I'd like to go back just a little bit because you were talking about how you're kind of transitioning into this leadership role, the general manager role, and kind of getting getting used to other people, you know, reporting to you and that kind of thing. And and leadership and transitioning into a leadership role is something I'm super passionate about. So I'd love to hear sort of your thought process on how you're going about that and what kind of things you're doing to ensure that you're successful in making that transition. Well. My, the biggest thing I'm doing is listening first. Um, I want to hear from the employees. And because I have been here for so long and developed such a great relationship with so many people, I think that they're, they're still comfortable coming to me and talking to me just as they would have two years ago. So I'm, I'm listening. And that's the, that's the question I have for many people. How, you know, thinking of this, you know, we really didn't have a general manager. The owner really was our general manager. So thinking of this as a new position, I can make this general manager role. Basically, I can I, I get to choose how I'm going to take this and how I'm going to lead. And I want to hear how what they what they expect of me, um, what how I'm going to be helpful as a leader to them. 
Um, and again, it's, you know, two different departments. I've got a, a bartender and then I've got somebody selling tickets in the box office. And then I've got somebody selling, you know, doing outside sales and I've got a service manager and then, you know, the theater side of things. So it's, the answers are going to be very different. And, um, you know, I've definitely been positioning myself for this for many years. So I think that I've learned what not to do. Definitely. Um, I'm not a micromanager by any means. I'm not going to be a micromanager. We have an excellent team of managers that are going to be able to manage their own departments. Um, I don't have any concerns with the management staff we have on. I want to make sure that I'm the best leader and the best, you know, uh, role model for just our, you know, our, all of our employees, not just the management team. So the first step is really listening to what they want and what they need, I think. And that's going to be what I'm doing over the next couple months. And then I guess figuring out from there, just where, where I'm going to go and what my leadership style is going to be. Hopefully it's going to be what I, what I envision it being compassionate and um, reliable, obviously, and easy to talk to. So how important are your previous roles of taking reservations in the box office and being a group sales coordinator? Uh, how important are those to your role now as general manager of being able to look back and have that experience just over the last 23 years from the ground up? Well, like I said, I've over the last 20 plus years, I've definitely learned what not to do. I definitely have learned, you know, how I don't want to be. Um, and looking back on those experiences and being able to say to someone, I, I understand I've been in your shoes. Not only do they trust that I understand, but they know I understand. It makes me much more relatable, I think, than somebody that's coming in um, as an executive that has no idea what Broadway Palm is about, that has never been in their shoes, never had to pick up a phone, you know. And also it makes me remember that it takes a, it takes a team. It's, it's not just one person. This isn't my building. This isn't my theater. This isn't, I don't, you know, I don't have this ownership over all these things. If there is a, you know, a, something going on in the bathroom, I'm going to be the first person walking in that bathroom to clean it up. You know, if there's a napkin on the floor, if there's dirty dishes, if we're short staffed, if there's a line and at the box office, I'm the first person that runs around to grab these customers and helps them. So I think, knowing how hard it is and knowing these different positions and knowing what it takes, what it takes to have each of these roles kind of run efficiently. Um, I think that's helpful for me, but it's also helpful for the employees to understand um, and, and value me as a manager now. Yeah, you mentioned earlier micromanaging and then you talked some, about some things of what not to do. I'm curious what those lessons have been because I think sometimes when you when you figure out what not to do, that's almost as valuable as what to do. So what are some of those lessons of what not to do? Yeah, well, the micromanaging, I think, is one of the biggest things. You know, you, you hire managers, you hire an employee to do their job, and then you come up behind them and either completely disregard what they've just done and just change it all. It's like, you know, I do with my dishwasher at home. Somebody loads it and then that's not the way I like it. And I reload it at home. It's annoying here at work when you're being paid to do something, I can only imagine. And it's happened to me how frustrating it is where I'm given a job, I'm given a responsibility and I've done it well, but it wasn't the way someone else wanted it done. The same results were accomplished. Everyone was happy, but because it wasn't done the way someone wanted it done, it wasn't good enough. And no one ever wants to feel like it's not good enough and what they're doing is not good enough. Then they don't feel like they're good enough. That's not a valuable employee at this point, you know? So that's the one thing that I'm going to make sure of, you know, I, if I give somebody something to do or a manager gives someone something to do, I'm definitely not going to go behind them. If they are accomplishing the goal that I need them to accomplish and the customer is happy, I, I don't care how you do it, you know, as long as everyone's happy and it's the, it works with what we're doing, great. I'd say that is my number one thing. Um, that was one of the biggest lessons I learned, you know, and then just not getting a big head, not getting overly inflated. This is yes, general manager. And people are like, wow, you know, and some, some of our kitchen staff, I walk back there and they're like, let me take your plate boss. Let me do this boss. I'm still the same person. No, I will take my own plate back. I can wipe my dishes. You know, this is we're not, I don't, I don't have an ego. I'm never going to have an ego. Um, please treat me like you're equal. And 
your role washing my dishes is just as important as my role as the general manager now. And, you know, that's an, another valuable lesson I learned very, very early on. And the owner definitely has that same thing. He is, you know, you will not see him having anybody get his cup of coffee or anything like that. So that's something I, that was something good that I learned from him, but we've had other managers in the past who I've had to, I've had to look at and I learned from, I do not want to be like that. So no ego here. <laughs> Great lessons. Yes. <laughs> so then looking forward, where do you see Broadway Palm in the next 10 years, 15 years? Where, where would you like to see uh, kind of, or, or just the continual evolution of live dinner theater? Uh, what are some maybe kind of ambitious visions that you have for the future? You know, we're really lucky. So we are owned, the owner also has a national touring company. So he's expanded and that has allowed us to get some really exciting titles that other dinner theaters may not have the ability to get or other theaters in our area, quite frankly. You know, we have, we could pull it, pull it from a touring house, I guess, and bring it here and then it wouldn't be at the touring house. So with that vision of having these national tours and the bigger his national touring company gets and the bigger he gets, it's only going to mean amazing things for Broadway Palm. Um, I see us, I mean, definitely being around for five, 10, 15 more years. I don't see us going anywhere. I, I just see us evolving into, like I said, our different seating, different, different shows, different menu items, different ways we're serving people. So that's where I definitely see that evolving. Yeah. Well, Melissa, this has been a fascinating conversation and thank you so much for taking the time. Um, if somebody wanted to learn more about Broadway Palm or get in touch with you or they're coming to Fort Myers and they want to come see a show, where would you send them? So definitely our website, broadwaypalm.com. My contact information is on there. Um, our entire season is on there. Our schedule is on there for the next uh, through August, 2022. There's other attractions on there that you can visit. Um, so we have a lot of valuable information there, but definitely reach out to me, Melissa at broadwaypalm.com. I love chatting with people. I love giving people um, lessons about Southwest Florida when you come, different recommendations and, and just would love to chat. Excellent. Melissa, any um, last words or final thoughts uh, for our audience as we start to wrap this up? I would say definitely um, embrace all attractions, whether it's a museum, whether it's a, a go-kart track, or it's a theater. Um, we're all attractions. We're all in this together. And I think we all have a very successful 2022 ahead of us. And I think that that is a perfect segue into our sign-off line here. So Melissa, thank you so much for joining us today. And we're all in this together because we are all Attraction Pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.